Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Needham. I'm an Amazon seller, software developer, been on the platform for a while. This last year, I've actually spent a ton of time launching internationally. It's quite frustrating to figure out all the rules of every single marketplace. There's taxes, there's logistics and importing. There's one company that I used to launch in Australia and their ability to explain the fee structures and to actually get our shipment out the door was extremely fast. This company is called Z. They act as an importer of record in all major Amazon marketplaces, offering expert compliance advice and freight options and manage all the international shipping needs. This is essential to get your goods across the border the first and every time. You don't need to figure something out for each country when you have Z as your shipping partner and it's and with a, such an easy solution to international importing. I recommend Z to anyone looking to grow their FBA business worldwide. You can check them out at z.co. And I have with me today someone who also has been around the block, started out in private label, moved to reselling, then uh, exclusive reselling, private label, and then creating his own Amazon agency. So that is exactly the type of resume that I love to get on the podcast. Um, and so, so excited to have Dan Brownshire from Channel Key here today. Dan, welcome. Hey, thanks, Scott. Appreciate you having me. So you've been around, you've seen, you, you've tried to make a living on Amazon in multiple different ways. Um, tell us a little bit more about, you know, your background um, and some of the transitions, what caused some of those, you know, uh, what motivated you to, to move yeah. around and then ultimately what you're doing now. Yeah, it's funny. We, we, we have been around the block. We've been, we've been selling or operating in some capacity on Amazon for about 12 years. So the quick backstory on it, uh, started a, a, a private label business about 14 years ago with some, with some college buddies. That business today is still around. It's called Trend Nation. We recently actually exited that company. So Trend Nation started really on an idea that uh, we wanted to source products on the internet. We were using Alibaba. Uh, we started this private label, not knowing exactly what we wanted to do other than sell products online and figure out this e-commerce thing. That yeah, I'm sure you didn't even call it private label. You didn't even know, You're like, know what we were doing, Scott. Yeah, it was yeah. like a side hustle thing. And we all had other jobs and, and you know, we just felt like we wanted to sell stuff on the internet. And that, yeah. that was the start of it. Um, and so... Um, I've got a couple of partners in that business and it really just developed and grew over the years. Um, again, started as private label and then we uh, transitioned to uh, you know, private label selling through eBay primarily and websites. And then uh, Amazon kind of developed and the FBA program developed and we started uh, attending trade shows. Uh, we're based in Vegas now and started attending trade shows in Vegas and uh, buying brand, uh, brand new merchandise uh, from, you know, very, very well-known brands, you know, like Tommy Hilfiger and a lot of SLG, uh, started selling that product on Amazon, uh, leveraging FBA, it's like pre-advertising days and the yep. business exploded, right? The business exploded and um, it was a, a really kind of fun ride that lasted for, uh, I don't know, three or four years. And then what happened uh, is that the market matured and developed and other folks caught on to what the opportunity was on Amazon and, yeah. and uh, we started competing on price. And so where we yeah. might've had one or two competitors and 
you know, maybe Amazon wasn't a competitor at that time. We could win the buy box and that changed. And so we started trading in essence, commodities, uh, competing on price. And we said, uh, okay, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And we said, okay, maybe we can go to these brands and say, we want to be your exclusive reseller and we'll manage your storefront and your, your, your product detail pages and your advertising and all these cool things. What, what uh, year so we were that. you trying to go? What year were you trying to go exclusives? I would say um, that was around 2014, kind of 2013, 2014. Yep. Early that's, on pretty, that's pretty early. Um, and um, what types of brands were you going for? It, so we had, uh, for whatever reason, we had a lot of density in SLG uh, and soft lines, right? Clothing, what shoes, accessories, soft lines. Yeah. Yeah. So think like uh, Ted Baker, Kenneth Cole, Tommy Hilfiger. Uh, we did we did some uh, deals in sports and outdoors uh, with some brands in that category. So really, we if we had a, a reseller relationship, uh, and we would try and transition that reseller relationship into a, an exclusive reseller relationship. Yeah, so yeah. we big on attending the magic trade show, the outdoor retailer show. So whatever brands were those shows, uh, in a lot of cases were the ones that we were focused on. Yeah. And did you have success with that? We did. Uh, we did. Uh, but it was really interesting. So I, I think part of the, in uh, a lot of, there's still a handful of companies that do exclusive reselling really well, right? The patterns yeah. of the world, the yeah. covers of the world. Yeah. I, I think maybe based on the categories we were in, soft lines and clothing and shoes and, and these sorts of categories, it's really hard to be an exclusive reseller because there was so much long tail assortment. And yeah. we didn't necessarily want to buy the whole catalog. We only wanted to buy you know, the top 20% of the assortment that was driving 80% of the volume. So it, it broke. And we, it was a, I could never answer the question in that relationship who the customer was. Okay, so like, were we the customer because we were cutting the POs and paying the brands, or were the brands the customer because they were assigning an exclusive and we were providing them service? And so I think that dynamic, we were never able to answer the question. So it, to me, uh, that was the question where we said, you know what, there's a flaw in this model and it just didn't work for us. And we said, you know what, the real way to win on Amazon is to own the brand, control the distribution, control the pricing. And so we said, all right, let's transition the product business back over to private label because we owned a bunch of trademarks and we knew how to sell. Um, and then the uh, uh, business relationship we worked with other brands, let's create an agency where the brand owns the, the account and we manage it for them. And so that was kind of the bifurcation that happened. And really the market uh, and our interpretation of the market defined that strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, when you went, when you went back to private label, you had an agency that serviced that private label. Is that right? No, uh, we, okay, had a team, uh, we had a, a, a group of buyers and we, we, uh, had a, um, a handful of brands that we owned and we were dabbling in private label the whole time, right? Okay. But we were kind of full go on it. So the agency channel key split off. And we said all the we're gonna we're gonna partner with brands in the agency model, and then oh, okay. I, okay, and I and I kind of took that, and my other partners uh, stayed in the product company and developed the private label kind of pathway. So it was a transition over to private okay. label. Yeah, um, and that was all managed in house. Wow. It still is. 
I, um, I have probably been in, I've been in each of those business models myself. Yeah. So I, 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 every challenge that you said, I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. And like, you know, we ultimately, um, you know, my reselling business by boxer, you know, yeah. I'm kicking, I'm kicking myself because we were around before, you know, pattern and, uh, net rush, but, um, you know, we didn't, like, we just didn't execute that as well. It, it takes, uh, a lot of relationship building to yeah. make everyone on the same team, you know, to make uh, the reseller feel like, you know, it is just an extension of the brand itself. And, yeah. and not every brand, like it's, it's not like, you know, if I, if my best friend were uh, like had a business and he, and like his brand was selling, you know, a million dollars on Amazon, I would probably just tell him like, create your own account, you know? Um, yeah. You don't always, not every brand wants to work with a reseller. Yeah, I agree. There, it's interesting. And I've, that business is doing well and it's still around. And there's certain scenarios where I think it starts to really make sense. And I think yeah. Pat has done a great job with it as it relates to, you know, international selling and being able to expand relatively quickly internationally and not having to do with that and a lot of the supply chain issues that, that create complexity. Yeah. But in general, I, I agree with you. There's a margin story in a lot of cases. If you go direct to consumer and you own the brand, yeah. you control the whole thing. You control the you control the content, you control the brand, you control the messaging. And in a lot of cases, in most cases, it's just more profitable for you. Yeah. One of our largest exclusives, I think one of the reasons that they use us is, um, it is our largest exclusive, is we got them in the transparency program, um, you know, through our seller account. And like, they don't ever want to touch Amazon. They just want to be like, who they are, a manufacturer, yep. but like we're able to clean up the channel for them and uh, by leveraging, you know, transparency. Yeah, um, there's value in that for sure. For this, sure. There's a few approach. situations and a few brands where it, where, where it works. Uh, yep. there's, uh, I'm, I'm impressed how long you, you've been around. Um, uh, what was, I'm, I'm just curious, like, what was the year that like you first sold something on Amazon? Oh man. I think it was 2000, probably 2009 or 2010. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, that you, I think, you know, you were started in earnest a little bit before us. I joined in like 2013 and my brother started in 2011. So, you know, it, it, we, we, we go back for sure. Um, it's, it's it's not, not, like there's so much activity right now in this space, like with all the aggregators no, and no. all the service providers. And I'm like, and a lot, and I don't realize this, but a lot of folks have been doing it for that long and they're doing really yeah, well. No, um, really it's rare that I encounter someone that's been around as long as you, most people like they've been around since like 2016 and they feel like they're old timers, you know, yeah. like that's good or and, bad. And relative yeah. to today, they kind of are, you know, they, uh, I think advertising came out around 2016. So, so yeah, they saw some of the early stuff, boy, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be fun to know what we know now and to be able to like get yeah. placed back in that time. But even then, I still know that like what we've gone through just the last 18 months, people will be like, oh my goodness, like what a time to like be in business. And so I still feel there's opportunity and, you know, a lot of interesting things going on. Um, I know, uh, Dan, like you've got a lot of like expertise and, and seeing a lot of new things um, with, you know, having uh, a full service agency and channel key. Uh, wow. One question I wanted to pick your brain on was, you know, um, 
you know, back to like, there's like brand positioning and, you know, some, a lot of these brands are in one P, you know, Amazon selling them directly. And yep. uh, there's this attraction to moving to three P because, you know, it unlocks margin uh, for them and, and can grant control for in certain situations. So um, you've, you've seen a few brands move uh, across this. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, we've, we've, and I don't know the actual numbers, but if I had to guess, we've done maybe close to 15 1P or vendor central transitions over to 3P. Um, and they're all different and they're all unique. And right. some of them are full transitions and some of them are partial transitions. And I think the, the general reason why it happens or brands want to do it is because they want more control. Um, they yep. want more control over their retail price point. They want to mitigate channel conflict with their other retailers. Uh, products are crapping out and Amazon's not even buying them anymore. Uh, and to, your, to, to, to what you said, in a lot of cases, it's just more profitable. And so um, we've seen all different types of scenarios in all different categories. Um, sometimes Amazon doesn't like for brands to do that. And there, there's a, a policy yeah. that states that. And it's, some, it's seldom used and it's very gray. Um, and we've seen it them kind of flex their muscles and prevent brands from doing okay. it. So it's super interesting. Yeah, that's just, um, it, it, I think most people that listen to this podcast are actually in the 3P space. So we're always curious yeah. what life is like on 1P and why to move over. And I have seen instances, I think someone came and talked to us and they're like, hey, we're selling like $8 million on Amazon a year. And yeah. we, can't, we can't get anyone just to talk to us. Um, that's totally, that's totally uh, accurate. Are you talking about, you know what, sellers can't get anybody to talk to us or vendors? Um, vendors, vendors. Th this was a vendor um, that, that said that like he can't even get anyone from Amazon to talk to him. Yeah, that's totally accurate. Like, I think this was, I don't know, two or three years ago where there was this like week period where Amazon stopped uh, they they didn't issue POs for like a week, right. and there was everybody was uh, freaking out about this, and that Amazon's like pushing everybody to Seller Central, and you know there's this whole you know issue happening on one P, and that wasn't that didn't turn out to be true, but what it has happened over the years is they are really only wanting to work with the top five to 10% of brands within a given category. And they are in essence, incentivizing and pushing brands to move over to three P. Uh, you, you don't have a vendor manager in most cases, unless you are again, like top five to 10%. Uh, and it's all automated. And guess what? On seller central, it's all automated too. And so if you're not going to get any service and you are beholden to them cutting EPOs, and by the way, they're not going to hold your prize. Like they are, incentivizing you in essence to transition over to 3P. Um, and, and in most cases, we think that makes sense for brands. I mean, unless they yeah. margin out, which in certain cases, it doesn't. For a lot of CPG product types or products that yeah. are sub 10 retail, in a lot of cases, 3P doesn't margin out. And so yeah. it, it, it um, presents some challenges. It presents some challenges. You know, there's specifically like the small oversized products. This is when I did this analysis, like the small oversized products that are like yeah. super expensive to do in FBA. But for some reason on yeah. 1P, they hit a price point that I'm like, we can't do that. Like you got to leave yeah. that there. Um, it's, exactly. It's, and because, I mean, uh, this is like a, a problem I've had internally is like Amazon doesn't charge themselves the same uh, 
FBA fee. You know, if they were running their uh, uh, selling on the same model, um, like it just it do- doesn't always add up. They they have you know just different parameters altogether. Um, yeah, yeah. The FBA fees in a lot of cases are fits, right? It might cost it might cost you a dollar fifty to pick a product off the shelf, uh, whether you're retailing it for hundred or for two bucks, right? Yep. So that dollar goes a long way on a hundred dollar retail, but not on the two dollar retail. And then on one P, they charge you a percentage. It's a right. They charge you a freight allowance, and it's a percentage. So it, in in certain cases, it can be more efficient. Yeah, um, sure. I'd love to just dive into that more one day. Um, but I've just been uh, I've been on three P altogether. So um, you've um, you know you've transitioned into an agency, but doing this with a pretty sizable team. And yeah. all all remote. And this was uh, was this before COVID. So we we uh, I'm in Las Vegas. We have a had an office in Las Vegas. We were we were uh, tr- trialing a kind of flex remote work program. Yeah. And then COVID hit, and okay. we were forced to go remote. Uh, and we had a lease on a building uh, here in Vegas. And, uh, you know, so co- what COVID hit in February of, uh, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we, and so we, we moved out in call it March and then our lease was up at the end of June that same year and we just didn't renew the lease. Yeah. And so we've been operating fully remote ever since. Um, and I think it changed our business for the better. Right. Well, um, you know, we were talking earlier and you mentioned that like, you know, with brands that you are working on, like, you know, uh, it's, it's a, a high touch, uh, model where you have a lot of different people doing different yeah. things and how do you organize this and what are all the different things that you guys are doing? Right. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, so channel key is a, a full service agency, right? So the things we don't do are ship products and, and generally customer service, like everything else we kind of touch, we build business plans that are very robust, looking at fulfillment models and API integrations and, you know, catalog structured organization, you know, full funnel advertising all the way up to DSP, we've got our own DSP entity and, and then all the general account management that goes along with being a seller uh, on Amazon. And so um, it's, it's really interesting growing a product company versus growing an agency. They're completely different. Um, and scaling a business, uh, a, a service business is completely different than scaling a product business. And, um, we've been at it really since 2016. And I, and I think kind of managing a, a remote team, uh, for us, uh, versus an in-house team, I don't think there's a difference. Okay. But right. what is required, like what is required is, um, you know, you need a set of, of core values that you run the company by. You've got to align sure. your team always, and you've got to create a, an infrastructure and an environment that is laden with resources and systems and processes. Yeah. Okay. So where it gets really hard scaling an agency is when you start adding more clients and you start adding more people. And how do you create a repeatable outcome? Okay. Over and over again, that's similar across marketer or brand manager or brand. Um, and it becomes really hard to do that. And the way you do that is through training and through creating systems and processes and, 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 uh, and through allowing, uh, really good communication within the org. And yeah. so, 
you know, yeah, we're, we're very much a boutique type agency, high touch, high service. And on average, eight different individuals touch our client accounts every month that have a specific function and job. Um, and the reason we can do it that way and that we're successful is because we've got training in place and we've got systems and processes. Yeah. Uh, we're aligned. Our team is aligned. Um, always. And it's, well, it's not um, easy. Yeah. You remind me, there's this book that I uh, read and actually it was based off a recommendation from a previous guest uh, called uh, Built to Sell. Okay. And it was, it was really about an agency that was like kind of doing all the things the wrong way. And yeah. uh, it's such a really crazy, unique business model, but like where sometimes the founders just do too much. Yeah. And uh, it's about how you, um, uh, essentially remove work away from, uh, you know, the, the founders, like they can't do, they can't be the salesmen in every situation. They can't be the operators. And so like, how you take a people business and, um, and really decouple each person from being like too instrumental for a specific function, you know? Um, yeah, it's hard. That's, I, I, it's harder. Right, than could... Yeah, sorry. I mean, it's harder the people business to do that because, like, that's what you are. You are a services business. Yeah. Um, but then, I guess those processes, like you were saying, that that allows that to happen. It, yeah, it, uh, it's interesting. I, I've heard of that book. I haven't read it, so I want to read it. <laughs> we're big on EOS and traction, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with with, uh, with traction, but it, what's it, that? It creates. It's it's a it's EOS is a it's it's a, in essence an operating system on how to run your business, how to run your meetings, uh, how to set your goals uh, quarterly and annually, um, how to uh, really make sure that your team is fully aligned with who you want to be as a company, what you stand for, what you do, what's your product or service, right? Who do you market your product or service to, and and why do Clients choose to work with you. Okay, mm-hmm. where are you today? Right? Have and you use that? Have you used that to turn away brands? Maybe. Yes. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Okay. So we we are selective in who we work with, and sometimes it just doesn't make sense, right? Um, and maybe they don't align with us from a culture or values perspective, or maybe they don't fit our client profile. And so the answer is is yes. Uh, we go deeper than that. Like we evaluate our, our partners. And this is like, for us, this is the mindset. Like we, we work with our clients long-term, like multiple yeah. years. And if, and if it doesn't so good to, you know, work for somebody, work with somebody for three months and, and turn them out, like that's not how we win as a company. And so if they don't fit that model or they don't have the same mindset as us, or they're not thinking the way we think, then yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll turn down business. Yeah. Uh, and we learned that the hard way, Scott, like, it took us a while to get where we're at, and we're certainly not even close to being perfect, and we never will. No, we've I, I, I totally think there's a lot of value. Well, when you know when to turn away an opportunity, because you're like, I know how this plays out, or it's just like it's just not a fit. Uh, the work uh, reward, the risk versus reward, is just not there, and yep. it's a sign of maturity in the business to like say no. Um, and yeah, we. Through that, we we've been through that. We figured out who we want to work with and where it makes sense, and we actually throttled the business. We slowed the business down purposely, 
to realign and, and make sure we were working, finding those right clients and, and making sure we could service them appropriately. Right. So it's a it's clean evolution. So tell me about, um, you know, this is September. We're about to hit Q4 in 2021. This year has actually turned out to be like, no one's expected it to be like it, it has. I think most of us thought it was going to like normalize. Everything was just going to be like, this was the, the year to go normal. And for Amazon sellers, it's been anything yeah. but that. Uh, it's kind of crazy how the supply chain issues this year are actually worse than last year uh, yeah. when it comes to like overseas. So how are you thinking about Q4? How are you advising your clients? Yeah, I, it's so interesting, Scott. So I, I, I agree with you. So COVID is obviously still a thing, right? Uh, it seems to be maybe more under control depending upon who you ask. Right. But like, this is a, such a case study in, on kind of the macro economic environment and how uh, something like a pandemic can totally ch- change and disrupt the supply chain, uh, not only like when it's happening, but uh, there's a you know compounding effect in a lot of cases. And I'm super worried about Q4. Uh, I had a conversation yesterday with a client and I, it dawned on me like last year we had the COVID bump, right? It was really good to be in e-commerce last year and good to be selling products online because brick and mortar was shut down. So there was a, a COVID bump. And this year, I'm concerned we're going to give it all back in Q4 because uh, the supply chain is so backed up and disrupted uh, that you know product can't get to the states. Right. Uh, you know, there's there's 60 plus uh, ships uh, stuck in the port in Long Beach. And so it's a timing issue. Yeah. And I mean, maybe you know, this can this can relate. So our private label business uh, that we have, um, we were coming to a realization like, hey, like some things may we're gonna start stocking out, we're gonna do this. Like yeah. we started dialing down um certain measures that would stock us out now. Like we're being a little bit more, we're like, okay, well, let's um, we, we still want to advertise, but let's not do the aggressive advertising. Let's reduce our ACOS um, yeah. and and then even increase our margins across the board. And it's so far, like I looked at our sales yesterday, I'm like, it hasn't impacted our sales. We're just like yeah. being more profitable. So, yeah. uh, but that, I think we would do more margin if we just had another container of stuff and we were able to like, you know, be the price leader as well. Uh, yeah. So it, it, there's some there's some trade-offs, but um, hopefully you know you're thinking about it now because the time to prepare for Christmas was two months ago. Yeah, even before that, a lot of cases if you had to yeah. buy your inventory, right? And yep. so I I agree with you. I think um, it's presented a couple. I mean, for, first off, like the, one of the things that we're not even talking about is the FBA capacity limits. Right and the throttling yeah. last year and and Amazon's infrastructure has never fully recovered. Right, so you've got yeah. a, a compounding and confluence of issues that are uh, that are going to come together all at once. Right, you've got the supply chain disruption, and then you've got capacity limit issues, and then you've got the Q4 backup uh, to receive mm-hmm. products at FBA. And so for us, we're advising our clients to uh, we need to get an early jump. Right, we yep. need to get product shipped yeah. into FBA as early as possible to avoid the back the, the log jam, which always happens. And then, you know, there's a lot of 
companies that sell on Amazon that only rely on FBA. They don't, they can't ship direct consumer out of their own facility. They can't do yeah. an FBM model. And that's a that's dangerous, right? That's a dangerous yeah. uh, reliance on on Amazon. And so we've been advising really for the last year, if you cannot support direct consumer fulfillment out of your own facility or out of a 3PL, you are leveraged, right? You need a you need to hedge your bet on FBA and figure out another solution to deliver product or You've got a lot of exposure in Q4. And so we've yep. been buying for a long time. Uh, but I agree with you. The folks that have inventory, you, you know, the opportunity might now be to take margin, right? Reduce yep. advertising, potentially raise price and take margin. Um, and um, those that have product in Q4 are going to do really well. And I yep. feel horrible for those highly seasonal brands. Like, you know, maybe you're selling toys or something. And if you can't get that product off that container, you might get uh, stuck in inventory in January and not be able to sell it. I, I just, oh my goodness. Uh, there's going to be someone, there's going to be someone out there that like, like just know that they have like just so little control over like, you know, their product coming off of a ship and how slow that process is taking right now. And say it arrives, like even worse would be like December 21st, <laughs> you know, like exactly. And, and they're just hosed you know they just missed so much um and um so you got to be early this year and you gotta like uh really uh you know uh strategize and and, and hopefully you've already thought about it now uh fortunately for us like the last two weeks we've had some big quantity limit increases um yeah. i i i don't know. I mean, we have done a lot of small things to like, you know, hopefully like, you know, have reduce our uh, weeks of cover, have a better turn um, and Amazon's yep. eyes. And um, I, but I mean, so hopefully that's a positive signal. If I, I wouldn't describe our, my business as like the most nimble. Um, uh, so if we're able to get some increase, I, that is an optimistic, like I, I'd rather go that direction than the other way. Yeah, no, I love that, Scott. I've heard of other, you know, other folks getting uh, limit increases. We've had some clients get limit increases, um, but it's really just, it's just hard. I mean, yeah, you know, like I, for us, like we've had, we've got clients on Self-Fulfilled Prime. We had clients on FBA Onsite in the past and really both of those programs are deprecated. And that to me was Amazon's, you know, in essence, kind of crowdsourcing other warehouses to kind of, uh, mitigate the backlog for FBA, and we've been waiting for them to come come up with some other program uh, because you know building more and more warehouses is great, but I don't know how well that scales. Um, and so we're hearing of some other programs that are coming. We're hearing of them partnering with 3PLs to offer kind of some uh, overage opportunities and be able to pick from a 3PL and stay yeah. at the final edge. Uh, but none of it's most of it's in beta at this point, yeah. so something's got to give. Well, um, yeah, so I'm I, I I think next year, I mean, we said this before, but we'll be a, a year for normalization. You know, everyone's been preparing for Q4 for so long and yep. uh, trying to to get everything in. And next year, we'll kind of see like um, less uh, a fury to get stuff in and. Um, and then, you know, some, and then I guess there's actually a, a huge glut of new sellers that 
yep. are learning about what these like storage fees are going to mean to their business and their long-term storage fees. And when we start to see that, we're going to see some removals that like, you know, they're going to hurt some people, but it will help out the system. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know, Scott, we've been doing this for a long enough where we know that things always change, right? Yeah. yeah. The, rules, the rules of the game always change. It's, it's yeah. like you've got to, you got to be nimble as or as nimble as possible and flexible and just lean into it because there's nothing you can do, right? We, yeah. we, don't, we don't make the rules. And so no, that's uh, right. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of reward. If you, if you get the rules, right. I mean, like one, th- the, the main reason there's so many Amazon professionals is the traffic is there. You know, they've, they've yeah. built uh, something amazing. Maybe the margin wasn't like what it was in 2012 and 2013 when you just put a price and people just paid for it, whatever. Yeah. Today, you have to be very methodical and you have to like really uh, be competition aware. Um, yeah. But um, it's been um, quite the journey. Um, Dan, thank you so much for spending some time giving us uh, some of your insight, uh, especially, you know, through uh, the, like the years of, of insight that you've uh, put together. Um, and if people want to get a hold of you, um, they should just reach out and find you on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, they can go to our website. So www.channelkey.com, uh, hit us up on the website or yeah, just follow, follow me on LinkedIn or follow the company on LinkedIn, message me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to, you know, answer questions or, or, or chat further. I love the space. And, um, so yeah, that's the, that's the best way. Um, and Scott, I'll say for you, like, I really appreciate you having me. I've got a, just an immense amount of respect for you. I've been, I told you, I've been following you for a year now and I've never actually met you until fairly recently. So, uh, you've, you've built, uh, uh, some amazing businesses and, uh, you know, honored well, to you. Um, I'll, I'll give you a sneak preview. Hopefully the next, uh, two or three months, I'm able to tell you about some exits of our own as I, uh, right. reduce my business count to, to, to a, a lower number. I'm a little bit too spread out. And, uh, so. Um, but thank you very much. And uh, thanks for coming on and, and speaking. And I look forward to uh, interacting and working with you in the future. Yeah, likewise, Scott. Thanks for having me. Really okay. appreciate it. Well, that wraps up today's show. Uh, stay tuned, everyone, for what we have upcoming. And take care. One, two, three. Yeah.